The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right. Your church, like most churches that I have been at, practice social distancing to the extreme. You sit way back there. I think <laughs> it was happening when I came to Dexter. Can't even remember how many years ago it was. <laughs> but uh, it's good to have you here this morning. Good to see you. My theme for today, both the Sunday school and Sunday morning service, is the relevance of revelation. Uh, and this morning, rather than to get into the uh, details of revelation, we're going to take an overview of Reve- revelation. Uh, some people are so anxious to get into Revelation, the book of Revelation, and they want to jump right into all of the symbols and the signs, the mark of the beast and the Antichrist, and they want to figure out who that is and what that is. And uh, Sometimes they get so caught up in the minute details that they miss the overall picture. And so this morning we're going to do an overview of the book of Revelation. Because if you don't understand really the overview of the book, uh, it's easy to miss what uh, the Lord through the Apostle John is really trying to communicate to us. And uh, we'll be talking about that. But... uh, Along the way, we'll be talking about some of the mistakes that people make in their approach to the book of Revelation. So the first thing I want you to do, if you have your Bibles, is turn to Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. I see pages still turning. So when somebody has reached it, would you stand and read it aloud for everybody? Acts 17, 11. Anybody who would read that for us? There we go. They received it with all readiness, but they searched the scripture daily. One of the things that misleads people is the fact that they depend upon teachers, particularly prophecy teachers. And they say, well, if he said it must be true. I want you to know that I want you to check me out. Don't accept every word that I say as gospel truth until you check it out with God's word. Uh, there are so many people who've been led astray. I remember back in 1988, millions of copies of a little booklet was sent out all over America. 88 reasons why the Lord is going to return in 1988. And people believe that. More recently, Harold Camping Uh, tried to convince people that the Lord was coming back in, I believe it was 2011, October the 21st, 2011. 
And uh, Harold Camping was the man who was the head of a radio, a Christian radio network. And uh, he had billboards all over the country. And people sold their businesses. And, I mean, people just were convinced that since Harold Camping said it, it must be true. Well, uh, here we are. And uh, the Lord didn't come in 2011. So check every preacher out. And I say this with great respect, even your own pastor. And the reason I say that, uh, not to do with your pastor, but check me out, him out as well. The Apostle Paul even said that concerning himself in, in the book of Galatians, chapter 1. He says, even if an angel from heaven or if I teach any other gospel, let them be accursed. In other words, let me be accursed if I teach something that is not true according to God's word. And so, uh, particularly when we get into the book of Revelation, it is especially important for you to be alert and listen, receive it. I, you know, I don't want st- somebody to stand up and start arguing with me, but uh, receive it and then go home and check it out uh, according to God's word. The other thing, listen carefully as anybody teaches, particularly a a book of prophecy, whether it's uh, Zechariah, whether it's Revelation, whether it's Daniel, Isaiah. Uh, Listen carefully. And here are words that you want to really pick up on. Well, I believe that. I think that. uh, It seems probable that. All of those are code words that... This is my opinion. I don't really know for sure. And you need to be careful about that because some of us who are uh, teachers, Bible teachers and preachers, we can get real dogmatic about the things that we think. And we can make it sound as though uh, we are adding to the scripture inspired word from God. That is not the case. If you hear me say, I think, I believe, this seems, it's probable, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, It may be interesting. It may even be true. But don't accept it as true until you check it out. Do you get the gist of where I'm going here? Shake your head. It's all right. It won't fall off. Do you agree? Shake your head. Boy, stiff-necked people here. Shake your head if you agree. (laughs) Okay. Let me first, before we get into the chart and before we get into the overview, uh, let me touch uh, on some of the keys to understanding the book of Revelation. Many people avoid the book of Revelation because they're afraid they can't understand it. I don't remember who it was. I think it was somebody like D.L. Moody, who years ago, somebody came up to him, confronted him about a passage that was a troublesome passage in God's word. And uh, they challenged him on his understanding. And uh, I believe it was D.L. Moody. It may have been another preacher. But his response was, I don't worry about the passages that I don't understand. I worry about the passages that I do understand. The truth is, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, 
There are parts of the book of Revelation that we're not going to understand until they happen. But you don't need to worry about that. Because there's enough in in the book of Revelation that all of us can understand clearly and that applies to us that it can change our lives. It should change our lives. And we need to be concerned about those as well. But let me let me give you some keys to understanding the book of Revelation. First of all, start with the belief that God wants you to understand the book. He says that uh, in the very opening uh, of the book as John writes down what he has been given by God. And the first five words of the book of Revelation are the title of the book and the subject of the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation in its original language, apocalypsis, and apocalypsis means simply unveiling, uncovering, to make known. If God didn't want you to understand the book of Revelation, he wouldn't have caused John to write it in the first place. And uh, he certainly wouldn't have titled it Revelation, because that very word itself means that God is opening up things to us so that we can understand them. So we start with the belief uh, that uh, God wants us to understand it. Secondly, second key, make sure you are born again. The fact is that uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, we find that that the intent and the purpose was to show God's servants. Uh, In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4, we find that uh, John is writing to the churches, those who are born again. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 11, again, he's sending it to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Actually, uh, there are seven churches in what is today the land of Turkey. But uh, uh, he, the book is written to God's servants. It's sent to the churches or th- that congregation of believers. In fact, is it, it is written for believers. It's not really written for the unsaved. Now, the unsaved can profit by it, but they're not going to really understand it. Uh, to really understand it, you need to be born again. Why is that? Well, the reason why you need to be born again is because only those who are born again have the Holy Spirit living within them. And the Holy Spirit is really the one who illuminates us uh, to the truth of God's word, helps us to understand. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2 Verses 11 through 16. I'm not going to read all of those uh, verses for you. But uh, just verses 12 and 14 in particular emphasize uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in helping us to understand God's word. Verse 12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been Freely given to uh, to us by God. Did you get that? That we might know 
the things that have been freely given to us by God. And that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14. But the natural man, the unsaved man, the sinner, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So we need to be born again so that we can have the ministry of the Holy Spirit opening up to us the truth of God's word. John 14, verse 26, Jesus himself, before he is crucified, says to his disciples, but the helper, if you have the old King James Version, it's the comforter, one who is called alongside to aid us. But the helper, uh, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. There again, we see the Holy Spirit is the teacher, the illuminator of God's truth. John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatsoever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So we need to be born again that we might have the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help us understand uh, the book of Revelation. Thirdly, third key, we need to pray and ask God for understanding. We need to bathe our study in prayer. Psalm 119 and verse 18, one that most of us are familiar with. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. That was the prayer, uh, prayer of David in Psalm 119. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. Again, a very familiar passage of Scripture to most of us. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. So we have God's promise that if we will ask him, he will open up to us. And one of the things we should ask is, help me to understand the things that I need to know in the book of Revelation. Fourthly, fourth key, read it repeatedly. Don't just read about it. It's easy to go into the library and get books off the shelf and, and read about the book of Revelation, but you don't want to do that. You want to read God's word for yourself because God, through the ministry of his Holy Spirit, will take his word and minister it afresh to your mind and to your heart. You don't have to uh, be like a little bird. And you know how baby birds are fed. Mama bird goes out and gets the word worm, chews it up, brings it back, and spits it in the mouth of the baby bird. You don't want to have chewed up worms for your meal. Uh, you, you need to have fresh food on your plate for yourself. And that's true of God's word. Read it. Read it repeatedly. Uh, Paul reminds Timothy 
as Paul is getting ready to depart this world. Uh, his, his ministry is about an end, and he's, he's encouraging Timothy to carry on after him. And Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, Till I come, give attendance to reading. You'll find that uh, in the book of Revelation, and we'll mention this again later this morning, but uh, the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that has the promise of blessing specifically to those who read, hear, and do the book of Revelation. So there's a promised blessing if we will read it. And uh, again, we'll talk on that a little later. Uh, fifth key of understanding the book of Revelation. Use the golden rule of interpretation. Uh, the golden rule of interpretation was set forth uh, a number of years ago by David Cooper, who was the founder of the Biblical Research Society. And David Cooper uh, said the golden rule is, when the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, therefore take every word at its primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning, unless the facts of the immediate context uh, studied in the light of related passages and axiomatic and Fundamental truths indicate clearly otherwise. Other people have kind of summarized that by saying, if the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense, lest it lead to nonsense. And uh, basically that's what happens with a lot of teaching of of the book of Revelation today. Uh, There are those who spiritualize everything, and there are those who just put their own interpretation to everything, and, and they come up with a wildest ideas at all but basically what we want to believe that God says what he means and means what he says and we take it as that even those parts that we don't understand today will be understood someday sixth key accept the book of revelation as an integral part of the whole canon of scripture all 66 books Revelation is not a standalone book. A lot of people make a mistake of, of looking at the book of Revelation as though it just kind of stands out there all by itself. The fact is that there are those. Now, I haven't done the count. So uh, I am quoting uh, Mark Hitchcock, uh, who is a, a pastor out in Oklahoma. But Mark Kick- Hitchcock uh, says Revelation contains 404 verses. And 278 of them allude back to the Old Testament. Revelation has no direct quotations from the Old Testament, but contains a total of 550 allusions or references which appear in 278 verses back to the Old Testament. Now, I've heard other Bible teachers who have said there are at least 800 references or allusions in the book of Revelation back to the Old Testament. The fact is you can't understand the book of Revelation until you understand the rest of God's Word. Because uh, in God's Word we have progressive revelation. 
God starts out uh, with a little hint here and a little hint there. Then he adds a detail here and then adds a detail there. And we find that most of those things then find their consummation, their coming together, their fulfillment uh, in the book of Revelation. And we need to understand all of those lines of, of prophecy and thought. Uh, for instance, uh, just give you one example. The first prophecy in the Bible, Genesis 3.15 Basically, if you had been alive right after Adam and Eve sinned and you heard the Lord say something about the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent and uh, uh, in the process would be wounded himself, you wouldn't fully understand what the Lord was talking about. But then he adds information as you go along in the book of Revelation and progressively we get more and uh, more uh, full understanding of what he's talking about in Genesis 3.15. You get to Isaiah chapter 53 and it gives great detail. But we don't really know who that seed of the woman is until we get to Revelation and see him in his full glory. But you're not going to understand that until you understand everything that comes before that. And so the, the fact is that Revelation is, is intimately integrated and involved with the whole canon of Scripture, all 66 books. The last uh, key that I'll mention this morning is be diligent and patient. The fact is... Uh, we understand Revelation today better than any previous generation. Now, my dad, uh, who's been dead for almost 60 years now, uh, my dad was a great lover of prophecy and used to preach on prophecy on Sunday night uh, frequently. Uh, there were many Sunday nights. Uh, that uh, I went home and I was relieved because I, I just knew I wouldn't have to go to school in the morning because I was going to be raptured. Now, uh, that's how strong my dad was. In it, but uh, he had no idea. He couldn't understand everything the way we understand today, the way that God is setting the stage for the things that are about to happen in fulfillment of the book of Revelation. Uh, Daniel chapter 12. Uh, verses 4 and verses 8 and 9. Daniel chapter 12. Now, Daniel was given by God through Gabriel some insight and truths concerning what is coming. Uh, particularly the, the 70 weeks of Daniel and in Daniel chapter 9 and the other visions that Daniel had. But when you get down to the end of the book of Daniel, God says to him, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. We have a better understanding today of what Daniel was talking about than Daniel did himself. You say, now that's a pretty audacious statement, preacher. Uh, can you prove it? Yes. Daniel chapter 12, 
verses 8 and 9. Daniel says, although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And as we see God setting the stage for the fulfillment of all of these things, we have an opportunity to understand Daniel better than Daniel understood himself. And uh, that will be true until there are some certain points that I really want to make in the time that we have left here. Um, God gives us an outline of the book of Revelation in Revelation itself. Revelation uh, chapter 1 and verse 19. Uh, The Bible that I typically use, which is the Old King James, says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So there are three parts to the book of Daniel. First part is chapter 1. That's the things that Daniel or that uh, John had seen. And they center on Christ. Now the fact is that many people, as they read the book of Revelation, want to just rush through the early chapters so that they can get into the quote-unquote good stuff. But the fact of the matter is, Daniel chapter 1 is foundational. It is the good stuff. Uh, I'm teaching the book of Revelation for my Sunday school class in my home church. And we just got started. And last week I started on Daniel chapter 1. Revelation. Thank you. See, I told you to listen. (laughs) And check it out for yourself. The book of Revelation. I started in Revelation chapter 1. You know how far I got? First five words. There is a depth to Revelation, especially in chapter 1, and we're going to be going uh, into Revelation chapter 1 in the morning service. We're not going to get through it. There are just some things that I want us to see uh, from the book of Revelation this morning, but I hope that it will help you see how deep and profound chapter 1 is. It's all about Christ. Uh, He is the central theme of chapter 1. But then the things which are, chapters 2 through 3, that's really the seven churches that uh, John is writing to. There are four levels of application to the seven churches. Why these seven churches? Uh, these were not the only churches in existence in John's day. Nor are they the only churches that John would have had contact with. Why these seven? Well, first of all, God is the one who chose which seven John was to write to. Now, how, do, how can I remember what seven they are? All right. Remember this phrase. 
Every saint possesses the salvation provided by love. Every saint possesses the salvation provided by love. Now you say, what does that have to do with the seven churches? What's the first letter of every? What's the first letter of every? Can't hear you. E. What's the first letter of saint? Pastor, do you never have your people respond to you? Is this on here? All right. First letter of saint is what? Good. Now you're coming. First letter of possess is? First letter of the or the is? T. First letter of salvation is? First letter of provided is? And the first letter of love is E-S-P-T-S-P-L. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia. What's the last one? Laodicea. What's the first letter of each of those churches? What's the first letter of each of those churches? E S P. There you go. Every saint possesses the salvation provided by love. If you if you remember that statement, it'll help you remember the seven churches. Boy, this tough crowd. And that's what we have now. What are the four levels of application? First of all, the first level is uh, John was writing. To specific churches. These seven churches were literal churches in existence in John's time. And God had a message for them. Second level is these seven churches represent churches of all time. Churches today have the same characteristics that the churches did that John was writing to in his day. And we can learn the lessons, both the things that God uh, is concerned about and the things that God commends. Those are in existence in churches today. Third level of application is to the individual believer. The church is made up of individual believers. And the fact is that we as individual believers have a tendency to have the same characteristics as these seven churches had. Seven is a number that John uses throughout the book of Revelation. It has a biblical significance to it. Seven in the Bible normally has the idea of completion or fullness and Basically, what you have in these seven churches is uh, a list of the truths that uh, apply uh, to churches throughout the years and individual Christians throughout the years. There's much that we can learn by studying carefully the seven churches of Revelation for our own church, for our own personal lives.
The fourth level is one that I'm not real uh, uh, excited about, I guess you would say. But uh, it comes out of Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, I believe that it was uh, Dwight Pentecost, the one who wrote uh, the book Things to Come, who uh, first came up with this application of these seven churches. But he believes that uh, each of the seven churches represents one of the church ages that we are going through in the day of grace, in the church age. Uh, that uh, uh, the, the church of the Reformation uh, represents certain characteristics and, and that we today are living at the time of, of the church of Laodicea. Uh, that is many uh, Bible uh, teachers and scholars uh, believe that to be true, and, and there may be truth in it. Um, there are some problems with it that I see, but uh, I throw it out there. Those are the four levels of application of chapters 2 and 3. Then, from chapter 4 through chapter 22, you have the things that shall be thereafter. Now, between chapter 3 and chapter 4 is where I believe that the rapture will occur. I'll be up front uh, with you. I am a pre-tribulation rapture believer. I'm a dispensationalist. Now, I know that your pastor is as well. How do I know that? He preached on the book of Revelation in 2009 and has... Uh, the whole series on the Internet, if you want to listen to it, you should listen to it. And he has a, a printed outline of his, his studies. Why, why do I believe that the rapture takes place? Uh, there are a couple of things, and we don't have time to go into great detail with it. But I just would draw a couple of things to it. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, the one that gives us the outline. Notice that... Uh, the last phrase uh, in, in this last section says, things which will take place after this. The English words after this are a translation of the Greek, meditata. And uh, after this, after what? After the things that are. What are the things that are? Chapters 2 and 3, the church age. So in other words, the things that are coming will come after the church age. Now, chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4, uh, verse 1. We have that same Greek phrase, uh, meditata, uh, twice. Uh, after he discusses the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 in chapter 4, he starts off by saying, after this, what? After the church age. Uh, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up here. And I'll show you things which must, which must be hereafter. Meditatum. Okay? So, basically, after the church age, then we have the things that uh, we have in chapter 4 through 22. Most of that is taken up with what is known as the tribulation 
period. But it's not all the tribulation period. But it's all things that are to come after the church age. After what I believe would be uh, the rapture. Uh, Verses 4 and 5. John is taken immediately up into heaven. Now, uh, one of the miracles of the rapture is not the absence of millions of people. But one of the greatest miracles of the rapture is that my friend, Thurman Hunter, will be on time for the first time. Uh, He'll be taken. (laughs) And, and, And there is in these chapters... Proof positive, and I'll show you in just a moment or two, that Thurman will be in heaven, that he's going to make it to heaven. Proof positive. If you read Revelation, you'll know for sure that Thurman's going to be there. Chapter 4 and 5 will be in heaven. And uh, John sees us. He sees 4 and 20 elders. Most people believe that... uh, Uh, They are representative of the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, the the leaders of the church. Uh, Twelve have to do with the heads of the tribes of Israel, and twelve have to do with uh, the twelve apostles representing the church and the church age. But uh, you see multitudes uh, who are singing uh, in heaven in verses 4 and 5. So, That's uh, the vantage point then in verses 4 and 5. Verses 6 through 18, the vantage point is here on earth, and it is the tribulation period. Now, the thing that you need to understand, some people will say, well, the pre-tribulation rapture, uh, that's just uh, uh, a way for us to to fool ourselves into feeling better about what's going to happen. Uh, It's pie in the sky. Uh, dream that uh, we're going to miss all tribulation. The Lord tells us that we're gonna, not going to miss all tribulation. We're going to miss the tribulation period. But in this world, uh, Jesus tells us in John chapter 16 and verse 33, we have tribulation. And there are only three kinds of believers in the world today. Just three kinds. Those who have just come out of tribulation, those who are in tribulation, or those who are about to experience tribulation. Those are the only kind of Christians there are in the world today. The fact is, when we have tribulation in our life, it is tribulation. But it is not the tribulation where God pours out His wrath upon the unbelieving rebellious world, and he deals with the nation of Israel in a special way. That is what takes place in uh, chapters 6 through 18, and that is what uh, we as the church will miss. Verse, or chapter 19, then, uh, we have the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming... And the rapture are two different things. And that's what many people misunderstand. The rapture is when Jesus comes in the clouds and we will be caught up to meet him 
in the air. He doesn't come to the earth in the rapture. Every eye will not see him in the rapture. They'll just notice that those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ are immediately gone. But in the second coming, which will take place after that, he actually comes and sets his foot on the earth, on the Mount of Olives, and he will then establish his kingdom. Uh, And we'll mention that just in a second. Chapter 19 is when we have the second coming. But chapter 19 is where we have proof positive that uh, Thurman is going to be in heaven. Why? The only place in the Bible where it says, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Amen! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! First part of uh, chapter 19. If you know Thurman well, you know he must be there for that. But then uh, chapter 19, uh, Jesus comes, and we have at the end of chapter 19 the battle of Armageddon. But the fact is that the battle of Armageddon isn't a battle at all. The armies will form to rebel against the Lord, but he comes, speaks a word, it's done. There's no fighting involved. He speaks, it's over. Uh, The battle of Armageddon. Then we have chapter 20. Uh, The first half of chapter 20 uh, talks about the 1,000 year millennial reign of Christ on earth. The details about that millennial reign are developed far more in the book of Isaiah than they are in the book of Revelation. What we find in Revelation is the length of that millennial reign, which is 1,000 years. Uh, And then at the second half of chapter 20, we have the great white throne judgment. And that's where uh, sinners will be judged and uh, they will be judged out of, first of all, the books, plural, and then the book. Now, what's the difference between the two? If you've been listening this morning, you've heard me say, listen for I think, I believe. Okay, so this is one of those statements. Here's what I think they are. The books, plural, contain our deeds, thoughts, words, or the deeds, thoughts, words of the unbelievers. And God will use that to establish for the unbeliever that they deserve to go to hell because of what they've done. But the book, the book of life, is the one that determines their sentence for what they have been guilty for according to the book's plural. And the sentence is eternal condemnation in the lake of fire. And you'll notice that they, they do not go willingly into the lake of fire. They are cast into the lake of fire. But that all takes place at the great white throne judgment. We will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. That's where we will be rewarded for the things we do. That will take place during uh, the time that the tribulation period is going on down on the earth. But this is the great white throne judgment for the unbelievers. And then you have uh, chapters 21 and 22. And that tells us the new heaven, the new earth, tells us where we will be for eternity. And the misconception that most people have is that we're going to be living up in the clouds somewhere. 
in heaven. The fact is we will be living on the earth, but it will be a new earth because God's going to cause this earth uh, to dissolve and burn up. Uh, there will be indeed global warming, uh, but it won't take place for at least a thousand seven years yet. So we've got some time yet, but there will be global warming. And then the Lord will make a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, that place that he's been preparing for us will come down out of heaven, new Jerusalem, and will rest on the new earth. And that's where we will live with him for all eternity. The point, the, the chapters in, in Revelation that are most pertinent to us are not the chapters dealing with the tribulation. They are most pertinent to unbelievers. But the ones most pertinent to us are chapter 1, which gives us a good view of who Jesus really is. Not that suffering servant that was crucified and beaten and tortured and laid in the grave. But the glorified Lord, who is now serving as our high priest, and one day is coming back in his full glory. But chapter 1, chapter 2 and 3, the church and the characteristics of the church, how do they apply to us? And then also uh, chapters 21 and 22, uh, that gives us great comfort and hope knowing where we will be. There are other parts, the, the uh, uh, wedding feast of the bride uh, in... Uh, Chapter 19 uh, is touched on very briefly. uh, But the the first part of Revelation, the last part of Revelation, are the ones that are most pertinent and the one where we ought to spend most of our time. Not worrying about whether uh, uh, Kissinger was the Antichrist uh, or uh, uh, whether Obama was the Antichrist or uh, whether Visa and MasterCard is the mark of the beast. Uh, We don't need to worry about that. The fact is that we're going to be singing throughout all the tribulation period, but I've run out of time. Uh, I think your pastor gave me till 10.35, and so it's 10.35. Father, thank you for for your love to us. Help us to have eyes that are open to the wondrous things in your word. And in these chaotic times in which we live, may we have hope, strength, courage and understanding and may we be a faithful witness for you in whatever time we have remaining lord help us we ask in jesus name and for his sake amen